I grew up in the middle of a big city. Skateboarding was how I got from point A to point B, but also how I got from A to B in the most fun, adventurous, creative, and sometimes legally questionable way possible. At the same time, Eric was shredding the streets on his BMX and slowly losing his sight and fighting, getting airborne on his BMX with limited vision. He's our host and he's blind completely. I share that just in case you're a new listener. When Eric returned from the Earth X Film Festival raving about a documentary called Four Down, where a pair of pro skateboarders of post-competition career got together, built a huge half pipe and essentially gave it away, and in the process, created a community movement in a marginalized neighborhood that began solving issues of food insecurity? What? It shattered my notions of what it meant to step on a skateboard we had to know more. The story you'll hear today is about giving away what you have and the unexpected journey that results. In this case, it was a playground made of sweeping shapes of plywood oriented vertically and horizontally. Yes, I'm talking about a half pipe, a big one for skateboarders. The builders were two pro skaters, Mike Crum and Rob Cahill. When the time came to move on from the highest levels of competition, from skate-centric Southern California, they went home to their native Texas. They found themselves in South Dallas. It was the most affordable. After building the half pipe for themselves, for their own skateboarding therapy, as Rob says, well, they decided to open it up for anyone and everyone. What does that mean exactly? At the time, they didn't realize that what they built was more than a physical structure. It was a space that housed their culture. There was nothing like it in South Dallas. The community around the halfpipe grew quickly, and with that growth came insight into the more pressing needs the community had, like food insecurity. Yep, you heard that right. Kids skating at the ramp whose access to nutritious food was uncertain. Kids were hungry. Mike and Rob wanted to know why. They wanted to help. They came to understand the vital connection between food quality and overall well-being, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Fast forward only a few years, and this Four Down project has evolved into a unique, service-driven community and resilience hub, serving the needs of hundreds of kids and families each week, creating upward mobility opportunities and distributing thousands of pounds of healthy food in a circular closed-loop fashion. This barrier-breaking project is attracting a lot of attention. We invited the director of the EarthX Film Festival and the executive producer of the Four Down film, Haley Nenendal to join us, and she's here with one of the co-founders, Rob Cahill. Rob shares how the work of the Four Down Project has not only saved thousands of pounds of food, but has also attracted like-minded individuals who share a common passion for action, inclusivity, and innovation. Get ready to be inspired and consider what kind of impact you can make in your community. I'm producer Diedrich Jonk, and this is the No Barriers Podcast. It's easy to talk about the successes, but what doesn't get talked about enough is the struggle. My name is Eric Weinmayer. I've gotten the chance to ascend Mount Everest, to climb the tallest mountain in every continent, to kayak the Grand Canyon, and I happen to be blind. It's been a struggle to live what I call a no barriers life, to define it, to push the parameters of what it means. And part of the equation 
is diving into the learning process and trying to illuminate the universal elements that exist along the way. And that unexplored terrain between those dark places we find ourselves in and the summit exists a map. That map, that way forward, is what we call no barriers. Hey everyone, welcome to the No Barriers Podcast. This is Eric Weinmeier, and I am so psyched because I have two amazing people on the podcast this morning, Rob Cahill and Haley Nittedal, who is the filmmaker of this amazing new film called Four Down, all about this amazing project that we're about to hear about. And Rob and Haley, which was cool, I met you guys at the Telluride Mountain Film Festival. I was premiering a film, and you guys were premiering this outstanding film, and I hate to say it like this but it was kind of a what do they call them a sleeper where like I just was like sitting there going through the motions listening to films and then your film came on and it blew my freaking mind it was so good it was so outstanding the story was brilliant one I'll just start with congratulations thank you so much what a great film and the response was outstanding we were intimidated going right after you. We, we, we watched your film, we were in awe, and we were almost afraid to go after you. <laughs> <laughs> Mutual intimidation. <laughs> yeah, but see, our film didn't involve cute little kids like Zion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we, we, yeah. Have, we have a superpower. Yeah, he's the superpower of the film, my gosh, and we're going to talk about him. Look, I was researching you guys, and I wanted to... There's just so many questions, right? I have a million questions. And so I was like, how do I start with with the order of, because you could start anywhere, but I really just, I guess I want to start with this idea that maybe people don't realize you you are from South Dallas and Mike, the other founder is, is from Dallas and South Dallas, where this project resides is a food desert and a recreation desert. So maybe just start with explaining the foundation of what that means and the idea that you guys found that it's not really about scarcity of food. It's just about redistribution of resources. I think that many of us who are tapped into this world at all, we know we're living in, in, in America at least, a, a world that's becoming increasingly, you could say the disparity is always increasing, right, between the haves and the have-nots and any and all resources. And in Dallas in particular, it's ex- the, the disparity is extreme. Some of our friends from... SMU University, for instance, let us know that Dallas is, uh, for a big city in America, the one with the most millionaires per capita, but at the same time, over 90% of the kids in the school district are at or below poverty level. So if that gives you an an idea of disparity, and then you take it and you realize that it's geographic, right? So if you draw a circle around the city of Dallas, it's, it's, you would see quadrants that are more or less created by a freeway running north and a freeway freeway running east and west and we're on the south side uh of the thing right so the whole bottom quad two quadrants of the circle that's south dallas and almost entirely so that represents roughly almost 50 percent of the city that entire region is defined as as a food desert with very rare small pockets of exception a food desert is a usda usda defined term 
that has to do with the uh, lack of proximity and access to healthy food, right? Um, but would it surprise you to find out that the same area that's a food desert is also a recreational desert and an infrastructure desert? And I'll tell you even now, ever more, almost all of, of Texas is becoming a maternal health care desert, right? So none of these things, I don't know, these things are all uh, interconnected and, and related, and they're not just coincidental. And so you grew up in that area. And so I'm like, I'm really fascinated by the evolution of a project like this, because a lot of people would you know, see this and just be overwhelmed. I was a little bit overwhelmed. Like, where the F do you start? Like, where do you begin the project? What kind of knowledge do you need to, to have? So I don't think from all my research, I couldn't ever determine, did you guys just build a skate park thinking, okay, this is the cheapest place to, to build it? Or were you building it with the community in mind? Because I know things have to evolve, but right. at the same time, you must have gone in with a plan, right? <laughs> would it surprise you to find out no no is the answer no maybe <laughs> no that's fascinating a, too if it's a no <laughs> no is absolutely the answer <laughs> uh we follow a process not a plan it's more of a ground up process driven thing like evolution itself right and and quickly to just say one thing i'm not from south dallas myself i happen to have been born in dallas my yeah he is well, he was from dallas he's from the better part of town highland park Luckily enough, he won the genetic lottery in that regard. <laughs> so, I mean, I did happen to be born in Dallas. My parents were married, just not to each other. And uh, so the kid came out and then <laughs> they were kind of on the run. Yeah. And I got the privilege of living with my grandparents growing up. And uh, they were wonderful people. It made all the difference in my life. But through the twist of fate and whatnot and living this skateboard life at a certain level, me and Mike Crum and some other very prominent high-level skateboarders back in, say, around 2007 or so, when he came back to Texas from Southern California. We all did the Southern California thing in order to, you know, have skateboard careers, right? You had, it was mandatory for our time. Before the Internet, you had to actually go there and, and do that. You had to do things in real life, not just on the Internet. <laughs> No. At any rate, uh, here we are in 2007, and we find ourselves in our 30s and uh, in Dallas, and we didn't have what we needed. We we needed some refuge. We needed some some place to be us. We had this international skateboard culture, and we're in this very conservative and and like we just pointed out a very a place that has a lot of disparity. It's very weird. You cross this line, you go from millionaire land and nothing land and crossing this imaginary line, right? These barriers that you're talking about, these that end up becoming very real because that barrier is like in the movie, I say we're on the wrong side of disparity, right? On the wrong side of the disparity divide. At any rate, um, we found our way to South Dallas because it, as you suspected, Eric, we found our way there because it was affordable. I'll tell you the, the basic movement of, of four down was we had to help ourselves. We all needed help, me and my friends. And we needed some skateboarding therapy because that's just the tribe that we're that we are, and that's the form of recreation that we, that's who we are. But what I didn't realize along the way was that our culture was extremely valuable, and we needed a place for our culture. And we built a space that housed our culture in the same way maybe people who follow a certain religion might build a church, right? And it's our culture that follows a certain kind of process. It's our culture that sort of has certain values and certain attitudes. And over time, what I keep finding and, and being amazed by is that the culture is, itself is quite attractive to the right kind of people for, for the problems that we face, both in South Dallas and I would say in America in general, because 
we're prone to taking action. We're drawn to innovation and ingenuity, and we're naturally inclusive. And to me, those are the elements that America needs to find some healing. But it's interesting that you mentioned that because skating has this reputation of being this counterculture, this kind of irreverent folks who are rejecting the standards of society and all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? But you're saying it, it brings in unexpected elements, right? Not just that counterculture side. Yeah. How did you figure out how to combine those two pieces? Well, I think you just hit on something very important. It's, it's only in this bizarro world that we're currently living in where the predominant culture is so upside down right. that the counterculture becomes like the ones that have to take the lead, right? What kind of world are we living in when the skaters and these other wild folks are the ones who need to figure out and solve problems, right? We're, we're supposed to be causing problems. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? We're not supposed to be solving problems. We're in an absolutely bizarre upside down world, right? I mean, or else we wouldn't be the ones who have to take the lead. But that's why the artists and the entrepreneurs and the outsiders and all of us, that's why we really have to step up right now, right? We don't have the luxury of time. We're in crisis across a, a number of metrics. God, it's just so fascinating because, yeah, you're right. Like, it's the culture, the, the predominant culture that is creating the disparity in the world. And the folks that are rejecting that piece of society are the ones fixing it in a way. So that makes sense. I don't think people would think about that or realize that that change would come from the skating community, but it, it totally makes sense the way you're explaining it. We're in it, we're living it, and we're surprised by it as well, but that just goes to show we're just reacting to this environment and this world, this cultural environment, this physical environment, this technological environment, right? And we're trying to ask ourselves, how do we align ourselves with nature? How do we reconnect and find some healing, right, uh, across social terms across economic terms across you name it right we're just trying to feel better and since we basically started four down to make ourselves feel better we're completely exclusive it was like a professional skateboarding private facility that has now evolved to be still a professional skateboarding facility but now completely open for any and all things that can help our local people and our planet that's really what we're about at this point so you mentioned the food desert obviously in a recreational desert but as you embedded yourself into this community what other struggles like what were the deeper struggles that you witnessed were opened your eyes in in certain ways you go through life and you notice a lot of these things um but just through experience you have an opportunity to learn right like you said earlier well i've, I've been earlier i've been watching your film over <laughs> you said i wanted to know everything i mean you said, I wanted to know everything. I want to experience everything. So we just dive in the same way. Right. And anytime you spend enough time with anything, you learn more and more. You don't have to know a lot to start working on something, right? So we immediately notice, wow, these kids need us. These local communities and churches need us. These local organizations need us. And over time, what was almost like a jigsaw puzzle, just little pieces start to form an overall picture. And you start to see how everything interconnects. And you realize, oh, wow, there's maybe ways that we could be smarter with our limited resources and um, find intersectional areas, right, to double up. And in particular, the food justice issue is an area where you're going to find an intersection between environmental issues and social justice issues and overall health issues. Because this, these disparities we're talking about, they lead to opportunity gaps, health gaps, right? Like, you name it, every sort of gap. So when you see these massive gaps in culture, it's because of these disparities. And we realize, okay, how can we take advantage of what we do have, which is 
largely just a culture. We don't have all this money. We have space, we have a culture, we have a way of being. And as we learn more and more, how do we take action? How do we make that an attractive thing and a welcoming thing so that we gain more, more of a critical mass? And that's just what's naturally happening through a process of always moving forward, always being curious, as you know yourself. So what you just said is really fantastic. And so it sounds like you were learning that by founding the project, by founding the skate park. You're learning this stuff because it's right in front of your eyes, right? Yeah. Yes, you're experiencing it. And along the way, you meet a lot of different folks and you hear what they're going through. You see what they're going through. You learn and just in a good faith way, just try to be cooperative and helpful and see what happens. And a few years later, you look up and you're like, wow, I do actually know a lot about this stuff. <laughs> I've got professors texting me and I've got all these experts in their field, right? Like emailing and texting and they love to hang out because we have fun. We might take on a really heavy subject, but we don't do it with a heavy spirit, right? That's just too much. That's just too much. You can't do that. Imagine if you tried to climb that mountain and you hadn't let go of the things that you say at the end of the movie that you just let go of certain things. If you had those heavy things burdening you, you couldn't do what you do. Yeah. So we can take on a heavy task, but with sort of a playful, light spirit and just play with things and see what happens and mm. be available for some happy accidents that come from experimentation. Love it. And so at what point did you really realize that like food was at the top of the list, food justice? Did you notice that kids were coming to the skate park? I heard in the beginning with like, you know, a sock full of uh, quarters. <laughs> and, uh, no, they didn't have quarters. It was pennies, it was nickels and pennies. Nickels and pennies. <laughs> and then you notice what? That just people were hungry. They're like, man, I haven't eaten today. Or, well, you know, I don't know about you guys, but one thing that's universal. I mean, not everyone has experienced different sort of opportunity gaps because maybe some people have more resources than others. But everyone on this planet has felt being hungry at one point or another, right? And it's a unifying thing. So that's something you can start, like, that's a form of connection from the jump. Like, everybody gets hungry from time to time. And me, I'm a tall, skinny dude. I get hangry. I'm famously hangry myself. <laughs> me too. People know, like, <laughs> My whole personality changes when I'm hungry. I'm like, oh, I get man. angry and mean. Dude, I'm a pirate. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so anyway, starting from that, from the fact that, hey, I know I need a place to be where I feel free. I know I need a place to be where I can express my culture and feel comfortable. I know I need a place where I can have food and drinks and have my needs met. And then we come to realize, oh, wow, we're in this place that's true for like whole sections of town, like over 40% of town. We, and that's astounding, right? Yeah. And as you jump into that, just like with anything following a process, you get better and better. You learn more and more. We started to notice the connection. You know that you feel better when you eat better food. Then you start learning more and more about, about the connection between the quality of the food, the quality of your experience, right? Yeah. The quality of the community's experience and not just the physical experience, but the mental, emotional, spiritual experience as well. And then reflected at one point, I realized, wow, when I was a kid, we'd wait till the the sun went down a certain amount and I'd go dumpster diving for my mom yeah. and, and some of the grocery stores in different places. And I realized, oh, wow, I guess we were food insecure, too. I just ne it never occurred to me. Right. We're just doing what comes to us naturally now. But in my own experience, I started to realize, oh, wow, this really was. And then all through going through high school or couch surfing in California to try to be a pro skater. It's like you're living on three or four dollar budget a day and, and you just become this crazy animal and you get aggressive. And I'm like, wow, this food thing has really been a part of my whole life. Because you're making these decisions in life, right? You can't change that your car insurance costs a certain amount or what the uh, gallon of gas costs. Those things are just out there in the world. 
but you and then you don't have enough money, right? Like some people said the other day, what he said, he said, I have more months than I have money. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not running out of him. You start making these decisions, and what you do as a human, you, you start making sacrifices. So you sacrifice the quality of the food. That's something that people do all the time. Even if they have rent paid or something, they don't have enough money for food. So you don't have to be homeless. You don't have to absolutely be destitute to be experiencing food insecurity. So you saw the problem there. And then Mm -hmm. I thought about the logistics. I don't want to dive too far into logistics, but first of all, like you're like, okay, there's food out there. So how do you start building the relationship with like food distributors and grocery stores and so forth? And then how do you attack the logistical idea of transportation, getting the food from one place to another to, to your skate park? By the way, rad idea that you guys have a cooler, like a giant food locker underneath right. the skate park. So when you say you went right. into this without a plan, you must have had a <laughs> bit of a, an idea there because that's great engineering. <laughs> it's fun, right? Like It's super fun to face these challenges and try to come up with innovative solutions. And they say necessity is the mother of invention, right? Like it's that sort of thing. And we never have enough resources to do what we do. We just somehow do it. And so therein lies the ingenuity and the human quality of just like having this attitude of, yeah, we're going to get it done. I don't really remember what exactly the question was. Oh, you were talking about logistics. Yeah. Did you just show up at a grocery store? Hey, I'm Rob. And (laughs) I should walk into the farm start pulling corn out of the field (laughs) for one as we jumped into things we started making relationships with folks that were already experts and people who were already working in these things and and people who were already well versed in some of these areas and we still are friends and work with a lot of these partners some of them we've outgrown and some of them we've uh, been able to bring along with us and and continue to but one thing that should be shocking to everyone is that almost 40% of all food goes to waste, right? So when you realize that's a shocking thing, right? So when you think about an industry that's responsible for roughly 25% of all the environmental problems, and half of that almost goes to waste, this is not good math, right? No. And logistical problems you describe, yeah, that is always our challenge, right? So we're definitely always looking for folks to help with that. But in looking at the food waste issue, both food waste from locally cultivated food and food that's being wasted from grocery stores, wholesale distributors, and other other ways food goes to waste. Perfectly great food, by the way. You think about it, healthy food, right, is inherently yeah. more perishable, right? Because it's not processed. It's not in boxes. It's not in cans. So the healthier food is a lot of time is the more perishable, more delicate it is, right? right. So you realize we don't want to just, as we evolve, we realize like, it's not enough just to do some can drive or something like that. The, the, the real thing is healthy food. So when this produce is especially vulnerable, and we're, we just happen to be randomly surrounded by wholesale distributors and a bunch of grocery stores to our north, and we realize like, okay, one of the main reasons that the healthy stuff is going to waste is that there's a limited amount of cold storage space, right? Because that's right. what you need to maintain perishable food. And it's very expensive. Imagine every grocery store distributor, they have to build these refrigerated areas, right? Very expensive. So when they've got an 18-wheeler outside full of some things, but inside you've got the same exact stuff and it only has maybe a week or four or five days left on it, you've got to get rid of it to make room for the 18-wheeler outside that's got food that's good for another 10 days to two weeks. So in a way, it's in their interest to get rid of that stuff 
and have it go to somewhere which is you got to feed people instead of just throwing it in the garbage exactly and check it out this is the twist of it all this is this is where we find like clever little ingenuitive intersectional solutions because to the retailer or the wholesaler they're going to pay an 18 wheeler then they're going to pay the driver then they're going to pay the landfill then that stuff's going to go to the landfill all the good food all the packaging the packaging is all recyclable all the food's going to turn into methane which is we know is a very powerful way more powerful harmful greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide, right? It's 20-something times more powerful. So that's a really tragic thing. But what if we offer them a solution? Hey, give it to us as a 501c3. You're saving costs. You're getting a tax write-off. And we're going to take the food and we're going to do the hard part, which is get it, logistically somehow receive it, store it long enough until we can process it and get it out and distribute it, right? So we're going to do the hard part, but they get a tax write-off in the process. So that's a nice little play to make. And we learned yeah. about this through other partners. This is in no way our, our own ingenuity. It's just something that we learned about. But we were the ones that said, all right, why don't we just build a cold storage? Why don't we solve part of this problem? Because any given day you might get a call, oh, this, all this food is going to go to waste unless you receive it. But we live in Texas, man. It might be 110 degrees. So how long is that food going to last if we can't immediately distribute it? So we don't have a fleet of cars and vans and cold reefer vehicles around to distribute this food immediately, right? Like we just have a couple of volunteers with their cars and their SUVs or whatever they might have, right? So we realized, okay, what if we got a shipping container, use the same guys who build the skate park to figure out how to insulate it, and then we use a... a <laughs> we use an air conditioning unit, like a window unit that's a real powerful one, and then put a hack on it called a cold bot. So we have a little computer device that we hack a, a window unit to make it blow way colder than it's supposed to be able to do in your house, right? Basically, in lieu of having $20 refrigeration unit, we take a window unit, put this cold bot hack on it, and basically hack the thing and make it work. So engineers, all these people say, oh, it's not going to work. Man, the thing works great. Lately, it's, we've been having some trouble because it's been 110 degrees in, in yeah, Dallas. Right. And we've taken the shade structure away because we're building something else. So we found if we shaded it yeah. and took these extra measures as best we can, it works really well. And it's been a tool to save thousands and thousands of pounds of food every week, every month. And, and now that's adding up into years. But then you have another logistical piece, which is, okay, they, you get the food distributed to the uh, cold storage but then you got to organize volunteers and staff to figure out how to package it into these care packages. So mm-hmm. what I understood was like maybe on Sundays or a certain day, you have all your volunteers gather with a big giant tarp and just start making care packages of food for the neighborhood, right? Yeah. So that in particular in the movie, that's called Sunday Service. And that's operated by our director of engagement programs, Teresa Tamenia. That's what it looks like recently and in years past we've done different days of the week we've done different things but right now our outward facing sort of volunteer opportunity is called sunday service and that's a moment where it's like if you build it they will come and this is like my this is my therapy right this is really where you find the part that makes that gives me some healing because we give people an opportunity to come out on a Sunday morning early, right? Because you have to do this sort of stuff early if you're going to take this food out in the heat. It's cooler in the morning, right? So people getting up on Sunday mornings, coming to four down, inspecting the food, hands-on sorting the food, and creating these 
boxes and bags for families, and that's feeding hundreds of families every week. And the thing about it is it's a circular thing. It's a zero-waste thing because any of the food that's so-called not good is still really great for generating healthy soil, right? So we compost all the food. We have a deal where with some other partners, Turn Compost and others, City of Dallas, to match that waste, that so-called food waste, with uh, landscape debris to uh, basically cultivate compost. And that's the first step in making really nice soil and returning those, those valuable nutrients. So great because it helps the environment. The yeah, it helps yes. the environment. Also, it's an education for the community, right? Absolutely. So, so, yeah, one thing leads to another. It's not just like one thing you're teaching. One, It's all connected, which is really the Absolutely. beautiful organic nature of this project. Yeah, so we're helping to heal nature in the middle of this industrial sort of gnarly part of town. But we as a community are receiving healing. We're getting an opportunity to do something. Yeah. So if you think about it, I, this is what recently occurred to me. So like, we're meeting the need of a community, right? Like they're hungry. They need nutritious food. And we're also meeting a business need of some of our, our commercial partners. They're for-profit companies. They've got this excess food. And so we, we use their problem to create a solution in another part of town. Right. But what are we doing? If you think about this is something that just recently occurred to me because I was thinking about how any and all things that are sustainable are circular in their modeling, right? There's this circularity that goes around in which resources are transformed around a wheel and then they're regenerated. But oftentimes, if you think of needs, like the famous thing about needs is Maslow's hierarchy, right? Love this part. I read this. I, yeah, explain that, how that comes into play in terms of your mission. So if you think of Maslow's hierarchy, most people are familiar with it. If not, it's a simple thing to look up and, and find out about. But you know, if you think about it, uh, the most immediate things are, are things like food, water, shelter, right? And then those are your physiological immediate needs, which our community has that that need tremendously, right? But as you go up that hierarchy, so to speak, you arrive at different things like you have social needs, you have needs for community, and you have needs for you know, security and things like that. And then you go up that. Let's just say that you're doing decently in your life. You'll find, a lot of us will find when we reach that top of the mountain, so to speak, that you do find that you have this need for purpose and meaning in your life, right? And so that's what it's called a lot of times. But if you're hungry and thirsty... And feeling scared right. as hell, you're not gonna. It, no. it's, it's not gonna promote no. the idea that you can get to those higher levels of life. Exactly, you're gonna have to meet those needs first, right? And just like us as skaters, we built four down. We had the need for comfort and security within our own culture, right? Because right. we don't feel like we were a part of the Dallas culture or the prevalent American culture. So here we are again, finding a way to meet our needs. So when you get up there and you are fortunate enough in that moment to have your physiological needs met, your social needs met, your safety needs met, you arrive at this different part of that uh, needs spectrum, I would say, not necessarily a needs hierarchy because you're still needy. How many times have we gotten to the top of our own proverbial mountain in life only to find that we feel empty and lonely? So you have this need for meaning and purpose and community and connection. And that's the thing that makes it sustainable. Because once you have met your own needs, you have this weird innate need that's sort of part of evolution has put it within humans to have this need to give back. And that's where you make that connection and that hierarchy of needs actually becomes a sustainable wheel. So when you get to that top, you find yourself right down with everyone else with the need to give back and the need to be helpful. I know. It's crazy. Rob, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but one of the things I, I think I might have heard you say somewhere 
is the idea that you don't think there's a lack of goodwill in the world. It's not like people don't want to help if they can figure out an easy way to do it or even a medium difficulty way of doing it. And you and the and also in the community, right? The goodwill is there. So the skate park in a way becomes this catalyst to just bring in or bring together community of people who want to help, right? Like that's pretty cool. That's a cool philosophy. Rather than hey, people suck, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if you looked at the internet and you looked at at the news and you just watch TV and the, the predominant sources of of information about where we're at on a day to day basis, that's the conclusion that you come to, Eric. And I'll tell you that I do. I'll admit, I I'll say it out loud these days that I, my whole life I've struggled with depression. I didn't know it was that. I just thought everyone said, hey, Rob's real moody, man. (laughs) He's a very moody guy. But what I realized is that I'm very sensitive. I'm like a cultural canary in a cave mine. I'm just sensitive. And I've always, I've been very sensitive to realize like there's a whole lot of this world and this culture I don't want to participate in. But sometimes it becomes so burdensome, I don't want to necessarily continue participating in it at all. If you follow that journey where it goes to a pretty dark place and I've lost two of my own little brothers, and a lot of other friends and family. And the diseases of despair these days that you think about anxiety, depression, you think about addiction, you think about suicide rates, all the things. And I would large in part say things like the way a lot of, I would say the American male identity is lost right now. You see all these internet alphas and stuff like that being weird extremists. It's because there's an identity crisis, I think, and uh, a lot of us are lost, right? So I definitely experienced that. I'm very sensitive to it. I didn't want to participate in things. And for a few years, I had to hand four down to my partner, Mike Crum, and thank God he kept everything alive. Thank God he kept everything going because I just didn't have the mental, emotional energy to participate in this world around 2016, 17. And then a few different things happened. But what, and what you point out are exactly my therapy, right? I had a question like, if we built it, would they come? In other words, like I'm looking at this world and the people that absolutely depress me the most are the loudest and most prevalent through all these forms of media. But I had a suspicion studying human nature and, and studying history. I've seen that roughly about a third of the people in this world are sort of pieces of shit. I'm <laughs> sorry to, to say it, but all throughout times and all places, and it's not it's not in any way a certain place or it's it's universal that roughly a third of the people in this world are going to be susceptible to being really not helpful but where are the rest of the people there's they got to exist right or we wouldn't have evolved this far so i asked myself because i know skaters and artists and entrepreneurs and other creatives and filmmakers haley and the folks we've met through this film stuff are incredible cool people i'm Growing up, I had access to parking lots and schoolyards, so I became a skater. But had I been in places with mountains, I would have been a climber. I would have been a surfer if I was by the beach. And in fact, when I am by the beach, I am a surfer. But I couldn't do that until I'm by the beach. But then I asked myself, okay, so these environments are, are shaping and molding humans' behavior. What if we, in the same way that we design a skate park to optimize skateboarding behavior, what if we set up our facility with a certain social design to optimize people's human behavior, right? Their social behavior, or maybe their civic behavior, right? So that's the social experiment that's always going on. And that's the part that's really therapeutic for me, because if you watch the internet, you 
stay on social media, you look at the news. This is a world you don't really want to participate in, especially in the South, in Texas and, and other places even more. But what you find is if you give people a chance to be decent, you make it cool and open and inviting, you just find like all the weirdos make their way down. They do. So many really cool weirdos out there that you give them an opportunity to be decent, you give them an opportunity to be helpful, right? Man, they're it's just an incredible slice of humanity that's it's able to do things. I'm always amazed. I'm so amazed. And really, I don't know if you could tell by the way I'm talking to you now. It's, that gives me the energy to keep on this marathon. Yeah. And I also really liked what you said originally, which, look, you've you had a tough childhood. And, uh, and the irony, I guess, is that makes your life a bit of a roller coaster psychologically and emotionally. But at the same time, it also gives you this kind of deep empathy to do the work that you're doing now. So it's, there's this w wild irony there in life, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely, man. There's a balance to things, right? And every curse is a blessing. Every blessing is a curse. There's a flip side to everything. I find a lot of my friends that are so-called more fortunate, maybe they had a more so-called fortunate upbringing. Well, inevitably, they, maybe they didn't build the toolkit along the way to handle some of these adult things. So some of us, you just take Zion. Zion is miles and miles past so many adults, right, because of the experiences that he's gone through. So that curse of experience can be, right, if you're anti-fragile, right, if you're resilient 2.0, that can actually be a curse is really a blessing, right? So how do we grow? How do we make our muscles strong? We tear them apart, and then they get stronger, right? So there's a lot of systems in this world that are actually anti-fragile, right, and get stronger when you put them under stress, and there's a good slice of humanity, I would say, the same for, right? That's our uh, premise. Why, why is it that I keep coming back to this idea that even though you're not a church, you have a lot of crossover? It, you're, <clears throat> you're like a church. You're like a really weird church. <laughs> <laughs> Which is saying a lot because churches are so weird. <laughs> yeah you're the opposite of a church yet you're the, you're similar like you have these sunday services that are like really right. there to distribute food right. like it, it's a community of people who are maybe a bit lost and struggling and they come and they find purpose this is like a kind of a secular church or a modern church or a counterculture church right and the irony is that's why we call sunday morning sunday service right because we get together to actually do service, to do the Lord's work, as a lot of our Southern Baptists would say. And I was brought up in the country. It was a bunch of Baptists. When I was with my grandparents in the city, we were Roman Catholic, you know, Cajun. So we come from that Roman Catholic tradition. And um, I very much was brought up in those traditions. And while my experience on earth has sort of, you know, facts and things like that get in the way of a literal translation of these, of these faiths, you know, there's not a day that passes me that I don't take the third thing Christ said on the, the cross, which is, bless them, Father, for they do not know. That is a, such a helpful thing for me on a daily basis, right? So it's weird because you don't have to believe in anything. We don't have any sort of thing that we believe in, right? But there's a lot of wisdom in a lot of these teachings from Christianity and all the others. I'm, I wake up every day and I read the Tao Te Ching every single morning for over 23 years now, right? Um I take from all these different spiritual practices all the time. You don't have to take a concrete, literal. In fact, if you do, you miss the point of it all, right? They're metaphors. And they speak to things that are hard to talk about, right? Like in, in your film, you talk about it a lot. You talk about the experiences of things, right? 
it's not something that can be known, right? So now we're in the realm of spiritual things. So at, at four down, and I think a lot of times you have an opportunity to take some action. You're experiencing something individually, but you're also with these other people. So we're experiencing it together. So why do people go to churches? Why do people go to big old football games and other things, right? You could get a great view of the game at home, right? It's about being with a congregation. It's about experiencing things together and feeling the energy of that connectedness, right? Again, going back to Maslow's needs, that's something that we need, right? So there's definitely a spiritual element of things, but there's no dogma. There's no thing that you have to believe in. And it emphasizes action too. That's right? it. Like people come together. It doesn't matter how many times they screwed up or how much challenge they've had in their life. If they want to come and be a part of this, they can't. That's it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now you've, man, you, I, I just so appreciate your take from this and I'm impressed with it. And um, thank you, Haley, for making a great movie that, that Eric and others can take this from. I, I really appreciate it. That's why film is such an important expression. It can just, oh, gosh, we're just yeah, so it's lucky. Gonna, it's going to spread the, the word so, so well. H- Haley, I, so let me, uh, I haven't forgotten about you. So oh, that's okay. Yeah, there you are. So tell me mm-hmm. how you got to know Rob and Mike and the project. Did you grow up in Dallas too? Or how, yeah, what, what was your connection with it all? And what, what appealed to you and what excited you about this initial idea to make a film? Because they're hard to make. For sure. I have to admit, I'm not the director of the film. It's His name is Danny Schmidt, but I am one of the producers and the organization that made the film happen. We're called EarthX Film. Which um, is a fantastic, I believe, a film festival, right? And it's- it is a film festival, and it's the, only inv- it's the only environmental film festival in Texas. Yeah. So it has a very important place to play in this whole thing. It's an interesting story, Eric, because so it started out I'm the director of the EarthX Film Festival, and we were bringing a film that had Stacey Peralta. He's the director, Yin and Yang of Jerry Lopez. And so we're bringing Stacey Peralta to Dallas, and we were like, we have to bring him to the skate scene. Like, what a lost opportunity if we didn't connect with the local skate scene. And to be honest, the skate scene doesn't come up a ton when you're talking about the environment. Right. <laughs> so we hadn't really connected with Rob and his crew, but one of our co-workers, a very important player in this named Tim Nicholson, was like, I've heard about this skate park, Four Down, you have to come check it out. And I happened to come down to Four Down at their first event since COVID. Your first big public event, right, right, Rob? It was like you're reopening. Right. And I just looked at – Eric, it is palpable when you're coming close to four down, the energy of that place, especially when they're putting on an event. But it's every day. There's just people hanging out, doing good things, and really having a good time. So we were there, and it was very clear that this is where we would love to bring Stacey Peralta. And I still didn't know at that moment the full extent of what Rob and Mike were cooking up with the farm and the food and the Sunday service. Like, I didn't know all of those things. I don't think at that moment, Rob. But we brought Stacey Peralta. Obviously, he was in love with what Rob and Mike were doing, but that kind of started our friendship, that whole experience. (laughs) And from there, we put on an event about food, security, film, skate, and all of that of November of 2022. Three. Three. Yeah, 2022. And 20, it was last year. 
we're in 23 now. (laughs) And at that same time. I thought it was 2024 last week. Somebody asked me. I have no freaking clue. Exactly. But we were given the opportunity within our budget to make a film. We're not just a film festival that shows films, but we wanted to make films. And most of the films that come across our desk when we're talking about the environment in Dallas, Texas, are from faraway places like Yosemite or people doing the work in California or Oregon. And we really wanted to make a film that was relatable for people in Dallas, Texas, so that they could see themselves in the action items or the environmental movement that we showed up on the screen. And it became so clear that this film had to be about four down and about the unexpected person doing good work in this world and the unexpected environmentalist in urban Texas. So yeah, in this last November, December, we made this film Four Down and it's a snapshot in that moment in time with Four Down. And I know so many things have happened for the positive and also part of the journey (laughs) since then. But Rob could speak to so much that has evolved from that moment in time. But but, but that was originally the idea that you wanted to bring, like the message that you thought people needed to know is that like this work can be done right here uh, in an unexpected way. It doesn't, it's, it's not about Yellowstone and our natural amazing places that we have. It can be done right here. Uh, under your nose. Is that right? Or is there more? Yeah, absolutely. And just to add to that, Rob said it in this interview is it was so important to have subjects that didn't take, I don't know, just, you don't have to know everything to take action on something. You don't have to go to school to be a farmer. You don't have to go to all that stuff. And I, I just think that Rob and Mike and Teresa really exemplify exactly what we want to put out in the world that you can do it too. So this is a barrier that, that we were talking about earlier, right? This barrier that, oh, we can't do anything. My favorite part of your movie, Eric, is when you say, if you wait for the perfect step, you're not going to take any step. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's so true. And so yeah. it's great to be around a bunch of weirdos, Haley and them included, because we just jump into stuff. You know what I mean? What are we afraid of? We're afraid of failure. Are you kidding me? We're skaters. We, we're not worried <laughs> about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. We don't, because again, we're driven by a process. We're not driven by some zero sum sort of competitive weird thing we just follow some process and the results are what they are and then it's up to to us just like you when you're on that mountain to stick to a process stay present trust yourself to be present adjust like in the famous movie 180 degrees south he says sometimes moving going forward is taking a 180 degree turn and taking a first step again right so it's about like why should we have a barrier of changing directions or have a barrier of, oh, I don't want to, uh, you know, fail or I don't, I'm afraid of public ridicule or anything else. We do work with a lot of other organizations and a lot of other institutions like colleges and other things. And everybody makes plans about plans and meetings about meetings. And it's like, man, we could have already been <laughs> composting by now. We could have already. Sounds like you guys are the opposite. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for this yeah, food going away says we're sitting here making these plans. Like we could actually have been doing something. So, you know, we are at a point now where we do need to have more of a structure because so much of what we are has been process driven and just responding to needs, responding to opportunities, depending on how you want to look at it. But we do, um, we have evolved so much that now we are going to have to put a structure on it and everything, but because that's going to lead to waste if we don't. And our whole thing is let's not waste anything, right? 
Yeah, agreed. At one point, you need a structure. That's why you guys eventually said, okay, let's have a nonprofit right. to make it easy. And then there are rules and regulations around nonprofits about right. transparency and all that stuff. So yeah, so you got to put some structure to it eventually, but I love action being the right. the first step. And we don't ever let any kind of barrier like that keep us from trying things, though. That's why I really love what this podcast was about. And, and I appreciate that Haley and them from the moment that she walked through the gates, she literally took my phone and she put her information in it and she said, we're going to do some things. <laughs> and then, a, and then <laughs> we've done a lot of things. Not exactly sure what, but we're going to do it. I love it. Yeah. So tell me the star of the film who merges as the absolute star, just such an amazing kid, Zion Carr, who actually showed up in Telluride, and he's got an amazing story, and he seems like he's kind of the, the human, the faith of the story and the project, and if you will. So maybe Haley, start. Tell me a little more about Zion. And when you want to tell a good story, you really need characters that are experiencing the story you want to tell. And one of the things that we were talking with Rob about is, what are some kids or young adults really that have been with Four Down to the extent where they have actually experienced some progress or a journey because of what is happening at Four Down, that skateboarding has really changed maybe their lives, the food, the general awareness around food insecurity and Sunday service, like who, who, who'd be great subjects. Yeah. Just an important player with Four Down that's also the future of Four Down. So Zion came up, he's obviously well-loved at Four Down and is also a huge contributor to what they're doing. Rob, I would love for you to speak a little bit to your guys' relationship with Zion, but that's how we found him. He just, he's also amazing in front of the camera. <laughs> it, took, we just, it just took meeting Zion and talking to him for a few minutes to know that he was perfect. And he's one of those guys that seems like he wanted to be a part of the community, just like the idea we talked about, do it and they'll come. It seems like he really loves his role of being able to serve. He says it makes him feel like a superhero, which I got to say, it made me cry, you know? Mm. We're really lucky when and where it happened. It was a moment in time that was especially critical for Zion and for some things that were going on because, of course, the background of all that, which we might get into, I don't know. But I recall, Haley, that you and Danny and Clay, you guys were – you wanted some subjects that were that were young and some folks to tell the story through through these young, compelling people. And immediately to me, he is so charismatic and he's just he's so uniquely Zion and he always is. And talk about struggles though, right? Like struggles, man. This kid how is he so resilient? His mom was at the time sick in the hospital of a life threatening heart problem and his aunt had been killed by the police in a horrible thing and he's taking care of his little brother getting his mother's medicine that's a lot on this freaking kid 11 year old that is a lot no 11 year old should have to experience that at such a young age right 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 but going back to the curse and the blessing this kid is incredible and he's not average in any way right and unfortunately he's facing all those tragic challenges that you just outlined but you want to talk about someone capable someone who has something extra special in him that's able to rise to the occasion when this film was shot we knew that within two or three weeks that he was going to be taking the stand on a nas national tv as the only sole witness to officer aaron dean's killing of his aunt tatiana 
right in front of him in a bedroom at two in the morning. She was in her house. Yes. She was playing video games. She was playing video games with Zion. And as you point out, Zion's mother, unfortunately, she was, she had been suffering from heart failure for quite a while. And so other aunts and her sisters like Ashley and Tatiana and others would, uh, you know, family members step in to help, right? In particular, Tatiana, I think she was in the healthcare industry. You know, those folks, they have to work 14, 15, 16 hours. They have crazy hours, right? And they happened to be up at a late time. She was babysitting. They're up at a crazy hour, so to speak. And the front door was open and one of the neighbors thought he was doing the right thing and called in, hey, there's a door open across the street. And the police responded in an absolutely bizarre way, just way out of bounds way, and end up in the backyard with guns drawn. And the moment that they see his aunt look out the window, they shoot her immediately, right, and kill her right in front of him, right in front of him while she's playing video games with him, right? And so he was the only witness to that. And this happened before George Floyd. This happened before Breonna Taylor. This happened before Sandra Bland and other incidents that happened that set off the, uh, the movement in 2020. And so we're in a part of the country that they did their best to make this thing go away, delay, 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 you know, the tactics. So those other trials came and went, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And thank goodness some folks were, were held accountable. But in this case, our community was very much used to people not being held accountable, the authorities never being held accountable. It was something that we knew shooting a film that, that he was going to be the one on the stand and the only person, witness, that was going to have to stand up to all these lawyers and this police department and this police officer. And that was all going to be him. And as you could see, he's not the average human being. He sat there, 10-year-old kid that he was at the time, or 11, right? 11. And, you know, because he's loving and he's single and he's ready to mingle, right? <laughs> In the movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. I love that line. I'm 11 <laughs> years old. I'm single and I'm ready to mingle. <laughs> yeah. Well, three weeks after that, he was on national news for two straight days, taking a stand with grown-up, lifelong lawyers trying their very best to, to trick him up. And he held right there and he, they didn't trick him at all. And Officer Aaron Dean was, in fact, convicted miraculously held accountable. And I can't remember another time that's ever happened in Texas. How's he doing now? How's he, how's he faring? Cause I know, I think I, his mom passed away, right? Yeah. Miss Amber, unfortunately, she lived long enough to see him testify and the verdict come in three years. They waited in that time, her mom, who was also part of it, she passed away. She never got to see justice for her daughter. So Miss Amber did pass away. And now Zion and Zayden are with uh, their aunt, Miss Ashley. Miss Ashley has been very generous and in, in, in keeping to share Zion and Zayden with us and, and do things like let him come to Telluride. And so EarthX has been great about bringing them along. And so all parties are cooperating and, and it's been a trip. And Zion and Zayden have been adapting. Zayden just had a birthday the other day. Zion had a birthday a few months back. And they're incredibly resilient. And that's what I see time and time again. These incredible, resilient human beings, man. And they are just... So when they wanted to make this movie, I knew that we had this incredible human being that happened to have this backstory. And in fact, all this was coming to head within two or three weeks of making the movie. So it just was a moment in time. And Four Down becomes a safe place because you guys are now like a registered after-school safe place for kids, right? I didn't know there's a registered or like a, a designation on that, but 
it's where people can go and they can feel safe no drugs no alcohol right like and they can skate and talk and listen to music and do art and right. compost and do all this fun stuff <laughs> right and have a healthy place to be right 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 so basically the parameters of the kind of social environment that we want to have no alcohol no drugs no weapons and the third thing is no gossip which is not like we go around it's like the gossip police but if you look at our rules as far as a safe space like the no alcohol no drugs that's very much about chemical harm and our behavior becomes harmful oftentimes when we're intoxicated and as skaters we're extreme people and we take everything to extreme and so it's hard to do extreme moderation with these things and then no weapons i mean we are in texas you know it's just a thing man we have to say no weapons and then lastly you know gossip is like a social harm so we just try to set the stage like when you're here we want to see your higher level behavior higher level conversation that sort of thing right get out here and bust your butt have some fun but you know can we just operate in a way that's socially maybe again just like a skate park is optimized skateboarding behavior how do we create optimized human behavior in a, in a social environment and back to Mas maslow's uh, hierarchy right let's enable this place to bring us up to the point where we can think in a higher level way and yes. treat each other in a higher level way. It's beautiful. So Haley, with the success of this film and the way it's spreading and getting shared around the country, or no, I guess really this is for Rob too. Have you guys gotten tons of people reaching out saying, hey, I want to do something like this and you guys can be a bit of a roadmap for me, not just the mechanics of building a skate park, but the whole sort of philosophy behind the project. It's very well thought through, even though I know, as you said, it wasn't done intentionally from the beginning. Yeah, well, I wanna say that it's only kind of just begun its journey. Our, our goal was for it to play in festivals across the country, but even better than that, Dickies has come on as a sponsor for the film. And starting on October 1st, it's gonna be on the Dickies YouTube channel across the world. So people will be able to see it across the world and be inspired by it. It'll be very accessible for people to see. But I actually, I would love for Rob to tell, the film played at Mountain Film, but it also had a kind of a early screening at Five Point Film Festival in Carbondale. Yeah, great festival. And it won, it actually won the audience award there for its premiere. It was really awesome. But this, I remember this professor came up to Rob and was like, I'm Rob, could you fill in that, that I don't info? even remember what happened. <laughs> okay, she she came <laughs> she Clearly, came up and she's like, to Haley. <laughs> I for sure. No, I remember we all <laughs> yeah, this woman came up. She's a professor and she is literally teaching a class on how skate culture can oh, help right. the world and how skate culture can shift the way people navigate the world. And she came up just with tears streaming down her face and was like, what Four Down is doing is exactly what I'm teaching. You are a living, breathing proof of <laughs> that this works and that I'm not just talking about it like it actually is happening. And I just remember that being like the first experience with the film. And yeah. I hope people do use this kind of as a case study, as just a beautiful, mm -hmm. organic case study of how to mm -hmm. get shit done and make the world a bit better. Thank you. People have been asking, and I do appreciate you guys picking up on it. I'm swimming in this thing. I'm, I'm in the soup. I don't know what it tastes like, you know? So for you guys to pick up on it. But since the movie has played, folks from both coasts, where some of them are surf-related, some of them are snowboarder-related, some of them are climbers and others. Basically, I've figured out what the elements are, right? You, you have to have a bit of a subculture, some sort of a, a bubble of folks 
that for whatever reason are, first of all, prone to taking action, secondarily like to take on challenges and are into innovation and, and uh, ingenuity, right? And then with that, oftentimes the, the, the last element, which is the, the real openness and inclusion, right? So basically just take those elements I outlined before, which aren't exclusive to skateboarding or, or even extreme sports, but oftentimes you find them in these little cultural bubbles. But I guarantee the same element you'll find with climbers, surfers, a lot of time artists, creatives, chefs, you name it, entrepreneurs, scientists. A lot of us have very similar, have these qualities. So at Fordown, I realized like these are the essential qualities. They're not exclusive. If we set up our culture based on these uh, values and attitudes, who would we attract? And that's been able to grow us. And then what do we do? Well, we face the needs of our local environment, which we've already outlined are very extreme and very obvious. But for folks that, that contacted us from Rhode Island, from Portland, from all these other places, right? You would basically get your folks together that have these qualities and try to address the needs of your environment, right? Like the needs in their environment aren't going to be the same as ours. But I guarantee you, there's not an, an environment in this in America right now that doesn't have some form of needs that need to be addressed, right? Well, if there is a recipe, this is it, man. And I know maybe you don't always taste the soup, but hopefully you'll taste it from time to time, Rob, because it, it tastes good. So <laughs> thank you so much, Rob. Thank, thank you, you so much, Haley. We'll put in Absolutely. the uh, notes where to find the film, where it's going to be on tour, all that kind of stuff, and information about the project if people want to contribute or get involved okay thank you so much thank you so much all right thank you everyone no barriers to everyone the production team behind this podcast includes producer Diedrich chonk that's me sound design and mixing by tyler cotman marketing and graphics support from stone ward and web support by jamlo special thanks to the dan ryan band for our intro song guidance and thanks to all of you for listening. We know that you've got a lot of choices about how you can spend your time, and we appreciate you spending it with us. If you enjoy this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to it, share it, and give us a review. Show notes can be found at nobarrierspodcast.com. That's nobarrierspodcast.com. There's also a link to shoot me an email with any suggestions for this show or any ideas you've got at all. Thanks so much, and have a great day. See